Well, it's exciting to be here this morning with you. I remember the first day that I, I came in here during my interview process. Uh, I came into the sanctuary alone, and I came up to the pulpit, and I looked out, and I seen this big space, and I said, oh, Lord, one day I will get to preach from this pulpit, and I will need you to stand by my side. And he has, and that day has come very soon. But as I look out today, I stand with family, and we go to the Word of God together, and may he teach us. So let us pray together. Father, you are good, and we know that you are here. We are thankful for your word this morning. We are thankful that we have it in front of us, that we can dive in, that we can look at your promises, and we can hold them tight to our hearts. That as we come from one year moving into the next, you are with us. You've been with us this year, and you're going in... You're coming with us into the next. You're leading us into the next. So God, I pray this morning that you would give us teachable hearts that as we draw near to you, God, that you would open up our lives and show us what is next as we go with you. We pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. When I was 10 years old, my grandfather let me touch the coolest thing ever. It was a Polaroid 680 SLR camera. So this was like the transformer camera when I was 10 years old. He would bring it out of this case and it would pop open and it would flick up, had this little, little flash on it and you push the little button on the side and he would take a picture. The picture would come out and he'd wave it. We'd all wait and see what, what it would look like because this was cool for us because we came from a family that we didn't have much but we had each other. So he would take this these pictures, and I remember this one day as a 10-year-old little boy going to my grandfather's house, I was able to hold the camera. And I was excited because every Friday night we would gather as a family. My grandfather had 11 kids and then their wives and then their, spouse, or their spouses and then all the grandchildren. So every Friday night we would come as, as one family and have this like Italian dinner. So there'd be like 25, 30 people in this small house and we'd be eating and chatting it up and all the parents would be doing those, their thing and playing cards. And, and, but my grandfather would always take this moment where he would gather us in one of these rooms and he would show us the picture. He would take a picture during the week and he, and he, he, would, he would bring it out and at this one moment we all look forward as kids, we'd sit around him and he'd, and he'd show us the picture of the week. And it was this cool little moment where we got to share with our grandfather um, of what he seen and what he thought was important. He would take this little story and he would share with us. And I remember all these different snapshots. They'd be all over his room. And uh, some would be of family and some would be like as he was walking to work one day and he worked at a bakery in St. John a long time ago before he passed away. He would take pictures of different machines and we never knew what they were and he would teach us about them. And then even one day, I don't know if you would remember, but he had this floor model TV and it was on a swivel. So it was one of those ones where you would have to get up, it was a big TV, it was on the swivel and it was always pointed in his direction at the chair because we would always go and we would always watch the hockey game. And I remember one day that we walked in and he gathered us around and it was after the hockey game and he showed us the picture and on the picture was a picture of the TV and a Leafs logo. <laughs> and he's like, boys, remember this day because I took a picture and one day those Leafs are going to win the cup and you will have this picture. <laughs> we are still waiting for that to happen. So as I come to Toronto in the GTA area, 
I watched the Leafs games remembering the Polaroid. So one of these days, this is going to happen. But this story, these little moments in time um, are very dear to my heart because before he died, he told me, he said, we can catch moments in time, with this camera, we can catch moments in time and preserve them as reminders of things that are important to us as a family. And I never, I never forgot that. That it wasn't the importance of the camera, but it was just the times that we remember that are important to us. And as we gather today around the word of God, we're going to dive in and we're going to look at three Polaroid snapshots of Mary's life and take note of the moments she preserved as reminders. And these snapshots will help us as we as Christians journey together on this journey. So as we dive into the word of God this morning, I'm going to be reading out of Luke. So if you have a Bible or a Bible app, if you want to grab that, we're going to be in Luke 1, 26 through 33. Luke 1, 26 through 33. The word of God goes like this. It says, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for if you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call him Jesus. He will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this, is the sixth, and, and this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. This is the word of God. So what, what do we see in this passage? As, as, as we begin to share Um, what's going on here. I wanted to take a snapshot of Mary's life. I wanted to go behind the scenes with her and travel with her as she went through life with Jesus, her son. So the first snapshot I titled, There's Something About Mary. And in this, we see an angel appears to a a poor teenager with good news. She will become the mother of a son who she will name Jesus. And the angel says in verse 32 that he will be great, he will be called the son of the most high, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. I just kind of highlighted those little areas in the word of God. But why is this so important? Well, if we study the history of Mary, she came from a poor city named Nazareth. It even says that, For in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. They had to say that because the commentators say that Luke wrote Gabriel was sent to the city of Galilee named Nazareth Nazareth, because the readers of that time would have known the place existed. So where Mary's living, not a lot of people knew where that was. 
Mary would have been very young, between the ages of 12 and 14, and she was a virgin and engaged to a man named Joseph. And just think of this situation. Last week, my son, he is not here, which is good. I'm going to talk about him for a moment. He came home from school and said, Dad, can I have a girlfriend? He's 12 years old. He actually said this to my wife. I'm across the room. I heard girlfriend, and we're locking eyes like, this is happening. So we had this little discussion and we kind of, we had to talk about the importance of a relationship and we had to set boundaries and we did all this stuff and we're gathering and he goes to school and two days later he comes home and he says, Dad, I just realized that this will be too much work for me. (laughs) And I have to focus on school and learning French and all these things. So Dad, I think it's, it'll be important for me just to not think about this right now and wait. And I'm like, oh, praise the Lord, hallelujah. (laughs) But this happened while I was studying and reading this text and we look at Mary's life and she's 12 years, she's 12 to 14, she's in that age bracket, she's the same age as my son. She's very young, a virgin, and she's engaged to a man named Joseph. And I can't just imagine her situation, this little one. And to add to the situation, she's out one morning and an angel comes to her and says that she's going to be a mom. And her son would be called the son of the most high. And I love as the text kind of, as we read through the text, Mary even knows her situation before God. For it's highlighted that when the angel spoke to her saying, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled. Like, the Lord is with me. Like, I'm, I'm in a place where nobody really knows about, and uh, I'm serving the Lord. I'm living the life of a Jewish, Jewish girl as a teenager. And, and she asks one question. I think this is, this is a good question. She says, well, I think, well, I think every 12-year-old kind of would ask this. This angel is before her saying that she's going to be a mom. And the only question she says, how is this going to go down? How's this going to happen? I'm a virgin, I'm young, and you're telling me that I'm going to have a son. That's a good question for a 12-year-old to ask. But the angel reassures her. And Mary, young and scared and living in a city that no one would know of, living the life of this Jewish girl, visited by an angel, she's going to have a baby. She does the unthinkable thing. She listens And she allows God to establish hope in her life. See, we look at a snapshot snapshot of a story of a young woman named Mary and see the bigger picture of the grace of God. See, for God is in the business of establishing, establishing hope for those who feel forgotten on the outskirts and in every walk of life. This is what God's about. He he goes to those ones who are feeling broken and lonely. And he says, I I'm here for you. I will establish hope in your life. I can relate to this personally, growing up. When I heard the word of God in its full context about how God loves us and that he cares for us and that he has a plan for us, I was all in because I knew the plan that I had for myself wasn't taking me anywhere. I was just going on this circle, going back and forth, going through the rotations. But when I heard this good news, I said, I want that. I want what God has. I want God to establish this hope in my life. And this is what we're seeing right here with Mary. 
And a few verses over in 146, Mary sings a song. And in that song, she states this. Well, I'm going to read it for you. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. We sang that this morning. He has shown the strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estates. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring. We're looking at Mary's song right here and she rejoices in God my Savior. She needs to be redeemed. She says, God, my Savior. He looked on the humble estate. God didn't choose her because of her wealth, the city. But he looked down her and seen her heart. And what does she do in this song? She declares his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. From generation that was from past to generation, as we gather here, his mercy is for us and he has established it. See, this is the good news, and I could wrap this whole sermon around this one point, that God will establish hope in your life, and when, and when this happens, when God establishes this hope, we can cling on to it, that he, you can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and we could, we could pray right now and walk out the door, because that's truth. That's what we stand on. That's what we live on. We know that Jesus came and he died and he establishes this hope and this everlasting hope that we can, we can have a new life in him and many in this room have redeemed that new life. He said, I'm all in. But if you look at our banner over here, Discipleship 128, presenting everyone complete in Christ, here at Calvary, this is just the beginning. Giving your life to Jesus is just the beginning and we teach the full gospel here. And this is just the first snapshot for God's in the business of establishing hope in our lives. But there's more after that. So this is where I'm moving into our second snapshot that I have titled Hope Tested. And this is snapshot number two. This is where we take the picture and we look at another context of where Mary is what Mary is going through from, from the word of God. We're gonna look at in Luke 2, 41 through 52. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast has ended and they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. All you who have heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? So, 
Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And did, not, and, and did they not understand the saying that, and they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them? And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive, submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So here we look at our sna- second snapshot. And his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. So this was according to the custom. So every year, this is revealing the piety of Joseph and Mary. They were devoted to God. They were devoted parents. And as many in this room, there are many devoted parents. You come to church every week. You bring your kids every week. It's important to be at home in the word with God, with your children, growing them up, raising them up, teaching them in the word so that they may go forth and teach it to their children. Yesterday, I seen this. I was a part of a wedding that I've never experienced love like the love that I seen yesterday at a wedding. That when Jordan spoke about his father teaching him the word of God and the challenge that his father had back to him to teach his children the word of God, that was it right there. That was the true gospel being poured out. I never seen that before. I didn't have that in my life. I didn't have a dad that taught me about the love of God. I had other dads in the church like dads in this room who love God, love their church, serve their church, and teach the children. There are many children that grow up not knowing the promises that God has for them and don't have those dads that pour into them. But here in the company of God's people, there are men who do that, and I was one of them. I was one of those ones who received the teachings of God through an older man who poured into my life and that was, that's exactly what Mary and Joseph was doing. They were going every year. But on their return home, they thought the boy Jesus was with them in the pilgrim caravan, perhaps with a friend or a family member. After a day's journey, they start looking for Jesus and they can't find him. He's not there. So what would you do? What would any parent do? We would freak out. Where's our kid? He starts, I, I could just picture this as they're traveling home. Where's Jesus? I don't know. He's probably with, he's probably with Elizabeth. He's probably with John. Oh, let's go check and find him. He's not there. What do we do? You see Mary and Joseph frantically going through the people, trying to find their boy. Man, that would be scary. This is where the testing would begin. What would you do? Where's Jesus? What would run through your mind if you were in Mary's sandals as she walked approximately 20 miles on foot back to Jerusalem to find her son? What would be going on? What prayers would she be saying? What tears would she be shedding? What emotions would be running through her head? What emotions would she be sharing with Joseph as she took that 20-mile walk back to Jerusalem. I say walk, but she ran. You know it. She ran back looking for her son who was in a big city. He had to be there. So as she retraced her steps, what would be going through her mind? I remember one day, I was home, 
and uh, my wife was at work, and I was home with my baby Bella, and she's my, my little one. So if you're a papa daddy and you have a little girl, you know what I'm talking about. They're very special. You have to hold them close. You have to teach them. You have to love them. So me and Bella have this real special relationship where um, I, I hang out with her. I play with her. I rock her to sleep. And she almost, we almost lost Bella when she was born. So for the first three months, um, I went through this OCD thing where I would never leave her side at all. So I would sleep upstairs by her bassinet, and I would wake up on an alarm every like half an hour and look and check and wake her up just so I could hold her. And a year ago, Laura's at work. We got this situation at home. We're having fun. We're playing. We're doing dollies. We're playing those things that daddy does with, the ba- with, with his little girl. We're just having a great time. So Bella's like, Daddy, I need a snack. I said, okay, baby, just go in. I'm going to grab you a snack. She said, let's go out front and play in the yard. I said, no, we're not going to do that right now. We had a split driveway. You go down the, go down the driveway, big road right there. I said, no, bud, baby, we're not going to do that right now. We're just, let me grab you a snack. We'll sit down. We're just going to chill and have our time together. We're going to pray and eat our snack and just hang out. So we do that, I go into the kitchen, grab what I need, bring it back. She's all set up, she's hanging out, but all the time we're eating, she's asking, Dad, can we go outside? Dad, can we go outside? And my daughter is, when she's focused on something, it's it's like, Daddy, 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 can we do this, can we do this? And it's like, eventually you just want to say, no! But you're like, oh, you got to have the patience, she's little and stuff. So she finally eats her snack, and I said, uh, I remember Laura asked me, before she left for work, can you do the laundry? Get laundry started. Sure, I love to help out around the house, being a good husband. I'm downstairs, laundry room's downstairs. Bella's upstairs, I hear this. She's running around doing her baby, baby, uh, baby Bella thing, and I can hear her, and she's having fun, and then I don't hear anything. And I yell, Bella, and she's like, Dad. So I'm like, okay, she's just chilling. So I'm downstairs, and I'm doing the laundry, and I'm about... 10 minutes, and I walk up the stairs, and when you walk up the front stairs of our house, the door is right there. So you have to go, there's the door, and then you come around a corner, and you go up into the living room, and that's how our house went. The door is wide open. What would any daddy do? I'm out the door. I'm looking. I'm looking everywhere. I'm looking in the backyard, I'm looking on the back deck, I'm looking out front, I'm starting to panic, I'm starting to freak out. I I knock on my neighbor's door and said, like, come outside, I need some help. And there's like a 13-year-old girl named Alicia, she's out there. We have another lady from our church, she's out there. And we're looking for Bella going up and down the streets and I'm having a panic attack, thinking my baby is gone. And what what was rolling through my mind is where's my daughter? I need her right now. And as after about 10 minutes of doing this whole neighborhood thing and having a search group within 10 minutes looking for Bella since we knew all our neighbors, I said, I need to call the, I needed some help. We got to call the police or something. So I go back into the house and I walk up the stairs and what do I see? Bella sleeping on the couch. (laughs) And what does any dad do? I grab her. (laughs) She's asleep. I'm grabbing and I'm holding her, I'm kissing her, I'm holding her tight, and I'm like, where were you? Like, I, I didn't know what to do. Like, I, I wanted to yell at her and say, don't, don't run away, but she didn't do anything. <laughs> she went to sleep. It was all on me. So, uh, so, so I was thinking, like, I remember that time 
when I thought I lost my daughter. But Mary really did lose Jesus. And she had to go back 20 miles. And what she would have went through. We too have this in the life of the believer. The 20-mile walk is what I call the situations that we face. So I ask, what 20 miles are you going through? What 20 miles are you running towards? Has it been sickness or broken relationships, maybe with a spouse or a parent? What 20 miles are you walking through with financial difficulty or maybe even raising your kids? These 20 miles, each of us journey. It's hard to think of Mary running back to a big city to find her son. And 20 miles is far on foot. It's far. But if you think about that in the life of a believer, it's a far testing that we will go through. So we know that God has established hope in our lives, but there are going to be these 20-mile 20 20-mile 20 journeys that each of us must take. These are the speed bumps that draw us closer to God, but they don't drive us away. Many go the opposite way when they're going through these situations. They go away from God. They, they do the, God, why are you doing this to me? Why, why am I going through this? But this has to be the reverse. This is, this is the thing that drives us closer to God. I've probably racked up in my life about 360 miles in my walk. But each mile, get this, get this in your heart. Each mile is a step from hope established into hope eternity. Knowing that God has established this love, this grace, and he has poured it out in my life and poured it out in your life. He has built this foundation, this promise of everlasting life. And he said that our lives aren't going to be easy. So he's established this and then we have to journey. And we have to go through the 20 mile walks. But from hope established into hope eternity. And the key here, the key here beloved is that we have to take the step and trust in the hope that God has established in you. For the last eight years, I've been working with youth and young adults, and this is the big thing I see. Man, I love Jesus. I want to give my life to Jesus. I love coming to church. And then when things happen, bam, they're gone, out the door, and we don't see them. And moms and dads, some of us have kids that have been like that. They've gone through those journeys. They'd have those, those rough marks. They've gone on their own 20-mile journeys, and, and, and they're far away. They're to the left, to the right, and we want to bring them home. We say, you need to come home, and you need to be here. That step needs to be towards God, not away from God. And as a church, we need to love those people in those moments, and we need to come together for those people on the 20-mile journeys. And I see that here at Calvary. This is a church that's all in, that love the people that are on the left and on the right. Mary made her 20 miles back to Jerusalem. And what did she find? She found her boy in the temple. And verse 48 says her, his parents were astonished because he was teaching and he was learning. And I think I can't read into the Bible and we don't do this, but I think that would be Joseph saying that. That's my boy. Very astonished. But what does Mary say? Mama Mary says, son... Why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. These mixed emotions of, of you're safe, but what were you thinking? And as parents, 
How many of you have gone through those moments where you just like, you just want to tell your child, like, what are you doing? But I'm glad you're safe. Another quick story. I remember we had this community center up at the top of the street, and growing up, we lived in a, a rough part, so I was allowed to come out my door, take 40 steps up the street, and go to this building that was the community center, and that's where I learned to play hockey, learned to play soccer, played all the sports. It was fun. My mom, we had this strict rule. You can go to the community center, and then you come home. Go to the community center, come home. Okay, for years, Mom, go into the community center. So one day I'm at the community center and having a fun time. We're having a ball hockey tournament. We just won. And right past the community center, so here's the community center. There's one road and then a little hill. So one road and a little hill. Um, our, our leader was like, hey, want to go down one road over the hill is the back of the plaza or the, the shopping center. Go down and pick us up some drinks. Can you do that for me? It's right there. Sure. Want to be a great servant? Want to help out? No problem. I can do this. So I get down there, and this little quick trip that was supposed to take a few minutes, it was busy. I was in line. I'm with a couple friends, and we're hanging out. I'm at the plaza, and then I see my mama coming around the corner. And you know, you know when you see your mom, and she, you know that look, you know, like you're dead. You need to run, or you need to get somebody to stand in front of you. And my mom, she was, she, my mom was old school. She's not new school. She was old school. She said, where were you? And you know where you're at because you're standing right in front of her. Um, I'm here. I was, I, mom, I was helping out. So I'm going to help you out right now. She grabbed me by the hand, like, and I was a little guy. I'm still a little guy, but get this picture. She grabs me by the arm in front of all my friends, and for three blocks, she spanked my butt. And, I, you know, as a child, if you ever, like, you get, you're trying to get your hand in there to block the blows, and she marched me right up past the community center, like all my friends, and she was just, you scared me? You're never leaving the house again? When I read into the word of God and I see Mary coming to her son, I think of my mama beating the crap out of me all the way for three blocks. <laughs> you know what? That, bill, that, that, that did something to me. It taught me about accountability. Tell people where you're going. <laughs> Be accountable to your leaders. Respect your mama. She'll smack your butt for three blocks. So I could really, I could really uh, relate to Mary when she... She came to this point in her life. And every believer, we're going to have these times. But we have to remember that the key is to take the step and trust in the hope that God has established in you and that, that God wants to walk with you. He doesn't want to pull you away. So what 20 miles have, are you going through? Are you taking that step towards God? Are you walking with him? If you're not, it only takes one step to get back in right with him. As we journey through the word of God this morning, this is the last time we hear of the boy Jesus. Joseph, Jesus' dad, we don't hear about him anymore. The scripture doesn't tell us what happened, but most likely we know that he passed away. That as Jesus was growing up, his father was gone. And we don't hear from Jesus again or Mary until he's 30 and begins his public ministry. 
And we know from scripture by this time, Jesus had brothers and sisters and their dad was gone. So Mary, she probably had a few 20 mile journeys that she went through. And many of us can relate to Mary coming in her situation. I shared with the young adults a couple weeks ago that the hardest parts of my life have been after I gave my life to Christ. The hardest parts. But they've always been the best parts too. Because I know that I have a God that's walking beside me, that he has established a hope in my life. I know there are going to be some 20-mile journeys that I'm going to go on. But I also know that I have a God that's leading the way. So as we move into our third snapshot, it's titled, Hope Fulfilled. And I want you to look at this video. Mary, my betrothed, you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen and the sweetest smile. Don't be afraid. I'm the Lord's servant. Help us! Please! Lady, I believe your son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? His name is Jesus. Mary, did you that your baby boy would one day walk on water. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you know that your baby boy has come to This child that you delivered will soon deliver you. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would give sight to the blind man? Peter, where's my son?
Lord of all creation. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your baby boy is heaven's perfect lamb? And the sleeping child you're the great I It's powerful. When hope is established, hope will be tested, but hope will be fulfilled. And when hope is fulfilled, expect divine involvement. The, the angel told Mary to give her son the name Jesus, and he will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And I bet you, Mary would never let this go far from her heart and her mind that she would remember what the angel told her that the hope that was established in her life would come to fulfillment. But look at Mary's life and what she had to go through where she stood before the cross and she's seen her son. As she watched hope being fulfilled, she saw her son heal the sick. She saw her son raise his friend from the dead. She saw her son teach the poor, and these would be the same people where her grassroots were established, and I bet she was proud of her son. And she also watched the religious people where she and her husband would journey every year where she lost her son, where she walked back and spent that moment with him. She, she seen these same religious people plot against him beat him and nail him to a cross and from the cross Jesus knew his destiny would crush his mom but, the end, but in the end he would carry her and people here today Jesus carries us because God said in this world you will have trouble but take heart I have, um, I've overcome the world so when this year comes to a close and we begin 2014 we the church we need to expect this divine involvement in our lives. We need to hold on to this promise of what God has given to us in Jesus Christ and that he is true to carry it out and in those dark times and in those hard times we remember the hope of Christ for hope is not optimism. It's not this careless thing. Optimism hopes for the best without any guarantee of it arriving and is often no more than whistling in the dark. But Christian hope, by contrast, get this, is faith looking ahead to the fulfillment of the promise of God. Optimism is a wish without a warrant, but Christian hope is a certainty guaranteed by God himself for us. Optimism reflects ignorance as to whether good things will ever actually come, but, but Christian hope expresses knowledge that every day of his life and every moment beyond it, the believer can say with truth on the basis of, a, basis of God's own commitment that the best is yet to come.
that we can claim that, that the best is yet to come in Christ because of the hope that has been established. So as we go forth into the 2014 year as a church under the leadership of Pastor Rick coming together, we need to expect divine involvement. For what God promises, he will fulfill. It will come to pass. And our 2014 season will be in his name, for his glory. We will walk that 20 miles, but we'll remember the the hope that was established in our lives. Let me pray. Father God, we just thank you for this morning. We thank you for the hope that you established through your son, Jesus Christ, that we can claim that promise that when we put our trust and our faith in you, that you would never leave us or forsake us, that you never leave us in the shadows, but you, you draw us close even in the shadows, even in the dark and hard times. And we thank you that we have the ability to look into your word and we can see the outcome that you have established hope that there will be trouble, but hope will be fulfilled, that we can claim this as a promise, that we can speak this to ourselves, that we can speak this to our neighbors, that we know the end. We know he who is coming, the Son of God, the established one, the one where the angel spoke to to Mary, the mom, saying that you will be great and you will be called the Son of Most High, and we believe that. We know that you have the throne of your father David and that you reign over the house of Jacob and that your kingdom, there is no end. So God, I pray for those who are in those moments barely even hanging on to their faith. I pray that you would bring them back and establish them. And for those who may be here that have no hope, this morning hope can be established in you. And for those who are claiming the promises that are close to their heart, they know that you are the God that fulfills all their promises, all the promises that you have made. And I thank you for them. They're the patriarchs that we look up to in our church because they hold close to the teachings of the word of God and they believe it fully. We thank you for them. God, we thank you for this moment. We look forward to what you're gonna do in the new year. We're going to draw close to you. We're going to see you lifted high. We pray this in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.